Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Hosted by Dave Turner, Seat Yourself is 20 to 30 minutes of what's happening in the world of hospitality tabletop. Dave is the globally known chief evangelist and editor for tabletopjournal.com. A non-traditional journalist, Dave has spent nearly 30 years as a sales and marketing executive in the world of hospitality. This podcast was originally published on the week of December 9th, 2019, and runs for approximately 25 minutes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seat Yourself. Of course, Seat Yourself is our approximately 20 to 25 minutes or so podcast on all things in the world of hospitality tabletop. I'm Dave Turner. I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. And this week... We're coming down the backstretch of 2019, and I'm sure you're all just as busy as Santa's elves these days, so we'll get right to it. In this week's podcast news segments, we address a bankruptcy that recently happened to one of our more interesting sales rep model companies, along with other news of a major, and one more, a major restaurant push coming to New York City's rapidly changing Hell's Kitchen area. We'll also share with you one of our favorite prognostications and one of the key areas that they see that may have direct impact for tabletop suppliers. And in our product segments this week, we've got some great new dinnerware products to share with you. Both can be great options if you're looking to expand or upgrade your high-volume banquet or catering dinnerware offerings. And we mentioned we'll be talking about sales rep business models. Well, in our 60 Seconds with Shannon segment, tabletop and buffetware category manager for Edward Don & Company, Shannon Talon, will give us her thoughts on what type of sales representation she thinks works best. And you won't want to miss Shannon's thoughts and her comments. And finally, we'll finish up in our commentary segment as we always do, and we'll be talking about leadership and just how important you mid and upper level managers are these days and offer a few tips on leading your teams in these ever-changing times. So thanks for joining us this week. Great to have you on board on this still early December episode. Here at Seat Yourself, you regular listeners know how we begin. We always start with our stat of the week. And this week's stat of the week is 40%. That's the amount of all food that goes to waste, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They're the folks who measure this stuff. And guess what? No surprise, restaurants are a big part of this story, with each one sending annually 50,000 pounds of food to landfills. And all of this, according to the Green Restaurant Association, also emits harmful greenhouse gases. So, it's important for restaurants to reduce the amount of food waste created in the first place, and the Green Restaurant Association's number one listed way to reduce food waste is to reduce portion size. They claim that the average portion size of our meals has increased 138% since 1970. Offering smaller portion size, they say, with things like small plates or half portion sizes, encourages less over less leftover food. And if you think all this is simply a problem in America, you'd be wrong. The UK newspaper The Telegraph reports that, in total, a third of the waste generated by the hospitality industry is from customers who don't clear their plates. In an article this past spring, they argued that restaurant portion sizes are now completely out of control, with restaurants bumping up portion sizes to suggest better value for money or as a sign of opulence. All this leading to obesity. And according to Forbes magazine, the restaurant and food service sectors are perhaps the most important, quote-unquote, missing links in the fight to reverse obesity. According to Forbes, restaurant and food service establishments account for more than 30% of all calories sold. 
So what does this mean to tabletop companies, and how can they help in these efforts to fix and reverse the waste of, uh, food wastage issue? Well, for one thing, when designing serving pieces, tabletop suppliers need to consider the saving impacts at all levels when they offer smaller-sized serving pieces. Product designers should be creating pieces that support the trend towards smaller portion size, with smaller plate and smaller bowl options. And then tabletop product marketers should be highlighting those product attributes and how the reduction in portion sizes can be viewed positively by restaurant guests. So tabletop suppliers, your restaurant operators are looking for a way to reduce costs and improve profitability? You may just be able to help them by taking a smaller is better approach. After all, 40% of all the food is ending up in the waste bins. And that's our stat of the week, 40%. And topping our news stories this week, big changes happened last week as sales and marketing giant Acosta has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. While Acosta Cornerstone, the non-foods food service component of parent company Acosta has struggled gaining traction in the food service non-food sector, it has been thought that other retail segments, and perhaps especially the retail grocery segments, would allow enough running room for the food service segment overall to become a key driver of revenue at Parent Acosta. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. We've been warning of changes within the hospitality, in particular the non-food supply part of the hospitality and food service industry, and here is just one more example. Blue Chip Equity Investor Carlisle Group has been Acosta's owner since they completed a leveraged buyout, purchasing the shares of prior investor group Thomas H. Lee Partners in September of 2014. And beyond this specific change with Acosta, success for the overall concept of this large coast-to-coast rep agency for non-food brands within the food service segment, the category of success remains elusive. Seems like many of the tabletop firms have gone this route have struggled to find marketplace success. And this topic was the subject of our roundtable discussion in our other podcast, Every Other Thursday. And you can find that conversation over at everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. But in any event, all this seems to be an unfortunate reminder that private equity and venture capital firms are in the money business, not the food service or the hospitality, and most assuredly, not the tabletop business. You can find our story in their cost of filing and a link to the Bloomsburg release on the industry news page of tabletopjournal.com. And also in this past week's news, Eater New York has published another story that says there'll be even another food hall concept coming to the area surrounding New York City's Hudson Yards. And you'll remember that just a couple of weeks ago in our Stat of the Week segment, we talked about the continued growth of food halls all across America. This time, the continued growth is coming in New York City's west side with a development called Citizens. And according to the Eater article, the planned 40,000-square-foot complex will feature two full-service restaurants, multiple bars, and a a fast-casual food hall. They'll all be run by C3, which is a subsidiary of a company called SBE, which is a global hospitality group. SBE runs a mixture of restaurants and chains, including Imami Burger, Katsui, and Mediterranean restaurant Clio, which already has a New York City outpost, according to Eater. And... It's all set to open sometime in October 2020 in the Manhattan West development, just across from Hudson Yards. Manhattan West is a planned mixed-use development with apartments, office space, and retail stores. And again, it's all set to open late next year. So the demand for food halls and dining entertainment keeps on growing. And with all the continuing growth on New York City's west side, 
a question might soon become, how much longer can the Javits Center afford to stay in its current location? Our guess, that subject's already being talked about. And finally, in this week's news, of course, each year when it rolls around to the November-December timeframe, lots of industry pundits offer their predictions on the coming year. While many of these prognosticators seem to just be out to simply be further out there than the other guys, we like to pay attention to the Bomb Whiteman list. In our opinion, Michael Whiteman is, is and has been one of the most insightful resources for forecasting food and beverage trends in the restaurant and hotel dining sector for some time now. And you can find his forecast for the 2020 trends by going to bombwhiteman.com. Michael often gives us buzzwords for the coming year in his predictions. And this year, Michael is predicting that we'll see the term, quote unquote, reusable bowls popping up more and more often. As tabletop aficionados, this has particular interest to us. And all for a couple of reasons. First of all, our love affair for bowls, it ain't going away. And while we continue to have appreciation for single service and disposable dinnerware, we think there'll be a great opportunity for suppliers who bring to market a bowl that is somewhere above single service, but still more functional, more practical, and, and more affordable for the fast casual category. Perhaps a microwavable melamine type product. And after all, we know it's difficult, but with people signing up for outer space tourism travels, can creating a better bowl be all that hard? Anyway, be sure and go out and check Michael Whiteman's 2020 predictions for food and beverage dining at bombwhiteman.com. And in product and company news this week, when it comes to permanent dinnerware, a company that flies sometimes off and away from our radar screen is Vertex China. And perhaps that's the case for you as well. And I'm not really sure why that is. They've got some really cool products and been doing it well for a long time. And like I just said, Vertex has been around a long time and it's made its name by bringing excellent dinnerware products to market at really great value price points as well. Well, we want to bring to you this week, Vertex has a relatively new design on their London shape and it's called Moonstone. And if you're not familiar with it, we definitely would recommend you check it out. With a reactive, uh, great reactive glaze, Moonstone has three different versions of that reactive glaze, all in a black organic looking background. The three different versions of Moonstone are, first of all, a terracotta version, which has glimpses of terracotta color that sort of peek out through the blackened reactive glaze. And then there's Moonstone Sky, which gives you a smattering of blue light color all across the, the black background. And finally, there's Moonstone Jade, little drops of green against that black, organic-looking, natural, uh, earthy background. And when it comes to shape, Vertex China's Moonstone has lots of options, plenty of plates, both coupe-shaped and rimmed, along with a great selection of serving platters, and of course, always a good selection of cup and saucer or mug options too. So be sure to check out Vertex China's new Moonstone. You'll be glad you did. Moonstone from Vertex China. It's in the current Edward Don and Company Fall Tabletop Advisor, by the way, or you can simply find out more by visiting their website, and that is VertexChina.com. And in other product news, we're certainly in the holiday celebration time of the year and with parties, weddings, and celebrations really of all types. And operators, you know you want to make the greatest impression you can, and upgrading your tabletop is a great way to do just that. Well, earlier this year, Miami-based Front of the House launched their new Catalyst Dinnerware. And let us tell you, if you're looking to, uh, to upgrade the look and the feel of your banqueting or catering dinnerware, 
Without sacrificing any durability or any functionality, then Catalyst needs to be on your shopping list. The new Catalyst dinnerware from FOH has six complete undecorated dinnerware collections with over 70 different items, all interchangeable, giving you maximum serving options. With six shapes that are three-rimmed and three-coupe shapes, along with two unique embossed options in each of the two shapes, all totaling up to the six overall collections. A little bit of background on FOH's Catalyst Dinnerware. It's a double-fired, high-temperature, proprietary commercial porcelain. The proprietary material and the double firing both contribute to Catalyst's unique durability and unique whiteness as well. In fact, front of the house is so confident about the functionality and the durability of their new Catalyst that they have given it a lifetime warranty on this newly launched high-volume dinnerware. You may remember talking about Catalyst in one of our earlier podcasts this year, coming out of the NRA show in May, where we interviewed FOH's Matt Strang. Well, we're now in the banquet season, and if you're looking to add it to your banquet or catering dinnerware, or maybe you're looking for an entire upgrade, new Catalyst dinnerware from front of the house is a great option for you to consider. You can check out the new Catalyst dinnerware from FOH by going to their website, and that is frontofthehouse.com. You'd be glad you did. Now, 60 Seconds with Shannon, where Dave sits down with Shannon Talon of Edward Donna Company and asks the question of the week. In this week, Shannon discusses sales rep business models. Hi, everybody. We're back again with Shannon Talon. She's the lovely and the talented category manager for Edward Don for both categories, tabletop and buffetware. And Shannon, today we've got a sales and marketing question uh, for you. And we know that you deal with manufacturer rep firms of all types and, and frankly, uh, uh, company salespeople uh, or sales organizations of all types as well. Everything from large national groups down to regional multiple state groups. And you may even go all the way down to, to uh, the very focused single state groups where there's possibly one or two people focused on a single state or a single market. The question today is, what works best for you and your sales team? So, yeah, that's a that's a really good question, uh, Dave. And it's true that we do work with uh, a variety of uh, rep groups of various sizes uh, and geographical coverage, as well as uh, factory reps uh, for the individual suppliers. And I don't know that it really matters what the business model is so much as uh, the uh, reliability uh, and the trust factor of the people that work there. And, and we've we've talked about trust and reliability a lot uh, uh, on your podcast. And um, I think along with the folks that work for the rep groups uh, being responsive, uh, being uh, having the right answers uh, or being able to get answers quickly to distributor sales reps and to customers. I think that that's what's really important is that relationship and that proactivity, having excellent follow-up. But they also really have to know the ins and outs of uh, their distributor programs. Uh, obviously, rep groups work with all types of distributors, but it's really key that uh, the, the rep groups are a seamless extension of the factories and brands they represent. You shouldn't be able to tell if you're working with somebody who works for a rep group uh, or the factory itself uh, or the or the supplier itself, because I'm always surprised um, that there are often uh, folks that work for rep groups that don't know the ins and outs of their distributor programs, specific discounts, special deals, uh, spiffs and incentives, promotions. It's critical that reps know 
all the details of their program so they can appropriately support distributors and distributor sales reps. Uh, so to me, that's what's really key. And whether you are an individual rep group that covers one geography or a national group, the key is that your people uh, have those solid relationships and know those programs. Yeah, it's amazing to me. It, it really still comes all down to the people themselves. And being a being a manufacturer's rep is a difficult job, especially when you're managing so many, you know, multiple lines. And maybe there, there's similarities, but each one is unique in itself. But people really make the difference. Now, here's Dave with this week's commentary. This week, Dave talks about being the leader that you seek. In this week's commentary... I want to return to the topic of leadership. Lately, with today's changing and evolving industry landscape, it seems like we hear more and more cries for help, especially from mid- and top-level managers. These cries come in the forms of questions. Questions like, why does my company do things this way, and where are we going? I'm not sure what my boss thinks of my performance, so is my job in jeopardy? Or even the dreaded, things are really changing here where I am now. Should I start interviewing and looking for someplace new? For mid- and top-level managers, there's no doubt these are challenging and unsettling times. How to manage their direct reports and being a good leader to their team members has never been harder. This has made even more difficult when company ownership or the corner office is less forthcoming and perhaps suffers from its own inadequacies or own insecurities. In these cases... Our advice is to mid-level and to top-level managers is to become more of the leader that you wish you had. Think about it. How would you wish your manager treated you? Well, guess what? Your team members want to be treated exactly the same way. So here are three top tips to help you on your way to being that leader that your team or that you yourself are seeking. Number one, honesty and trust. We've said it before, but trust is at the heart of nearly all great relationships. Your team members simply must be able to trust you. And trust is built around that core value of honesty. So, in all your dealings, make sure your team members can feel like they are you are really being honest with them. And in today's world, that can mean giving them the bad news as well as the good. In all my years of working for all kinds of managers, I always appreciated the leader's who I could trust to tell me the truth, whether I wanted to hear it or not. Number two, communicate. These days, there are lots of reasons to not communicate. Fear of misspeaking, fear of saying the wrong thing or giving out bad or even incorrect information. These are just a few of the reasons for not communicating. But in uncertain times, employees actually need much more information. They need it more than ever before. They need to feel in the loop so good leaders need to communicate better and more frequently than ever before, even if it's to say, I don't know, if that's the truthful answer to an inquiry. We all assume our bosses know, quote-unquote, everything, and often that's not the case. But just knowing your boss is being upfront and honest helps continue to build that bond of trust that good leaders always seem to have with their teams. After all, don't we all want to follow those we trust? And number three, you must stay positive and confident. Good leaders are positive leaders. In times of mergers and acquisitions, in times of bankruptcies and consolidation layoffs, it can be truly difficult for leaders to stay positive and to stay confident. 
particularly if it means implementing a new policy or program that the leader may have disagreements with. Good leaders are leaders who, while not always agreeing with them, can still see the reasons why difficult decisions have to be taken. Then, it is up to those good leaders to present those reasons to their teams and explain to their teams why they make overall good sense for the company going forward. This doesn't mean that the leader has to pretend to totally embrace decisions that they may have major disagreements with, but good leaders have a responsibility to both their teams and their company. And their responsibility to the company can sometimes involve policies and decisions that are not universally liked or even universally agreed upon. Staying positive and staying confident is the best way that helps the team as they go forward with these decisions, especially the tough ones. Remember, the ability to inspire and to motivate your team is priceless. So make it a top priority to be a source of positive energy leading an enthusiastic team by your example. Remember also, confidence is contagious and it motivates people to do their very best work. Being the leader you seek is not an easy task. Today's ongoing acceleration of the speed of business adds even more complexity to an already challenging assignment. However, the great news today is that in a time of organizational uncertainty, talent, particularly top talent and top leadership, is in demand more than ever. I'm Dave Turner, and that's this week's commentary. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Seat Yourself. And as always, I want to thank the Rockstar Category Manager, Shannon Talent, for joining us today. And of course, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in as well. And finally, I want to make a special thanks to the Edward Don and Company for sponsoring in part this episode of Seat Yourself. Edward Don and Company, everything but the food for nearly 100 years. And remember to be sure to check out their most recent tabletop advisor. You can download it from their website, www dot don dot com just go to the homepage and scroll down to the publication section we'll see you next time but always remember tabletop matters that concludes this week's episode of tabletop journals seat yourself podcast series for more news information and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry be sure to check out tabletopjournal.com dot com